Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. This week we're going to continue our discussion of what is love. And in the first episode, we spent a lot of time talking about the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for love, especially spending time on the word hesed. Uh, We looked at some of the ways that the word love is used in the Old Testament. And what we're going to do this time is look at some of the words in the New Testament and then understand especially what's the equivalent, if there's a Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word hesed. And then also, again, look at the uses and and some other things that we think would be helpful. So we're glad you joined us back uh, for the second part of this discussion. And John, we're going to start with this Greek word. And like like the Hebrew, there are several words that are translated as love from the Greek. Uh, One of them, and the one we'll spend most of the time on, is agapao, or sometimes it's called agape love. That is the love that's rooted in the ideas of goodwill and benevolence. It's not merit-based. You would not have agape love for me because I'm such a good dude you would have agape love for me just out of the goodness of your heart. And what I do doesn't really alter that all that much. And there are a couple other words that that we won't spend much time on. Um, One of them is the word philos, which is the root of the word Philadelphia, which we know is the city of brotherly love. That's the easiest way to remember what philos is. It is a brotherly type of love. And then storge um, is similar, but that's a family love. That's the, the love that you may have for your child or the child has for the parent. Um, it's a really important concept, especially in the, Old, in the New Testament. Uh, we're really in both Testaments, but within the Greek in the New Testament. But again, not what we're going to spend as much time on. What we're going to spend a lot of time on is this agape love or agapao. So, John, why don't you guide us through how that word is used in the New Testament? Okay, so uh, we see it in a bunch of different ways, but if we just talk about the Gospels, maybe um, focus on those, I think we'll hit most of the important things, and then we're going to touch on some stuff later in the New Testament. So if you look at the ways that it's used, we see it in the description of uh, Jesus' relationship with the Father, Um, both at Jesus' baptism and at the transfiguration, we see... Jesus is referred to by the Father as his beloved son, um, the son that he loves. So that relationship we see, they use that word, and um, they, they, there's a reference to love. Um, we also see it talked about in the way that we're supposed to love our neighbor and love God. When Jesus is talking about the greatest commandment, he emphasizes Deuteronomy Chapter 6, uh, verse 4 and 5, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He emphasizes those two things. Um, so emphasizing the love of God and the love of the neighbor. And those are some things that we see. Um, another thing that we see that we don't really see in the Old Testament, I can say, is um, love of your enemy in the same manner that it's it's displayed in the New Testament. So I'd like to read from Matthew chapter 5, 
Um, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. These are some things that Jesus emphasizes here. Um, but something interesting to note is in the Old Testament, they were, they were instructed to take care of the poor. Um, you know, they were to mm-hmm. leave certain things for the poor um, and help those who didn't have anything. Um, but when it came to justice and things like that, typically people were pretty hard-nosed on that kind of stuff. Um, you wrong me, I'm going to do everything I can with the law to get you back. Mm-hmm. And um, in Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So this is a really a new concept uh, for the New Testament. Maybe it's still present in the Old Testament, but um, it's not as plainly instructed, I could say, um, as it is in the New Testament here. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I keep looking at verse 45 in that section, and that's where he says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, and that is that is God's... Agape love. Uh, he's he's blessing those who deserve it and those who do not deserve it. And again, like we said, that makes it not merit based. It's not a matter of whether you earn God's love. And that's such an important concept. Um, I think you know. I'll, uh, I guess I can say it this way: um, well seasoned Christians, Christians who have been in relationship with God for a long time, probably understand that. Young Christians and non-Christians probably don't understand that God's love for you is not based on you. It's a little weird because we don't tend to act that way, you know, in our relationships. But God loves you regardless. You know, when when people were persecuting his son and nailing him to a cross, that was God's ultimate act of love is when they were people were being their absolute worst toward him. And so I, I think that's just so important a concept for people to understand is that God loves and serves and reaches out regardless of what we do. Yeah. I like that you emphasized it's not merit-based. Um, there's no number of things that you can do to acquire. Um, you know, you can't. Yeah. So I'm not going to beat that dead <laughs> horse. Um so another thing that we see in the Gospels especially is that love is the mark of a true disciple. Um, there's two passages that come to mind. Luke seven forty seven says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So really in this little short excerpt, we see that the one who loves and forgives is a disciple. And if you don't have the willingness to love and forgive, then it will be withheld from you. So um, it's not so much focused on, um, I can say, following the law, but being willing to forgive those who may wrong you in, in such, such a way. And then... Um, do you mind to read John 13, 34 through 35? Sure. 
It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, that quite plainly says that the distinguishing mark of a disciple is um, that you will love one another. Uh, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this. This, this last statement, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that, like, it, with reflection to my own life, do people mm-hmm. know that I'm a disciple of Christ mm-hmm. <laughs> based on that? Like, that's the distinguishing mark. So um, maybe a question to ask yourself as you listen to this and contemplate your own life. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I have a couple things. One, even going back to the Luke 7 passage, you know, that where it says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. That was not saying that, you know, there are some people who just don't have very much sin to forgive, so they're probably not going to love God as much. That's not what Jesus is saying there. What he's saying is he who understands that he has been forgiven everything will love God with everything that he has. But if you fail to understand that, then your love is going to be limited. And then when you look at this passage in John 13, I can't help but to think, that if, if love for one another is, the, is a true mark of a disciple, then the converse is true. That if you don't love each other, mm-hmm. then you're not a disciple. And you're not, you're not in that relationship with God that you think you are. And that's, that's a scary thing. And you think about the importance of how that looks to a world who is lost and looking for salvation if the church can't love each other. And that's a scary thing. You know, that we may be missing the mark and, and hurting someone else's chances at salvation, including our own, because we're just not loving each other. Yeah. This, I think this is a great challenge for everybody. Um, if you call yourself a Christian, do people, let alone with this one statement here in John 13, can they identify you as a Christian? Or do you just blend in with the rest of the world? So Yeah, I think one of the things I've heard before is if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Yeah. And I like that thought. Uh, I say I like that thought. It's well said. I don't like it because it can be a little convicting, um, but it's well said. <laughs> so one of the other things we wanted to consider is, you know, again, in the first episode in this subject, we talked about hesed love, that Hebrew idea of, Steadfast love, loving kindness. Um, it's translated several different ways. And that the Greek equivalent is this agapao, uh, the love toward the God, the love that God has toward us, that He sends His Holy Spirit, that He sends the Christ uh, for us. And I think to, to piggyback on what we just said about love being the true mark of a disciple, agape love is a necessity among God's people. Um, you know, and, and that's the verse that we read in John 13, you know, that, that we have to have that. And if we don't have it, then we fall short. And so it's not just, I guess, a really nice goal that we hope to, to attain to. You know, it, it, this is not, well, you know, it'd be cool if we could love one another. No, it's absolutely a necessity. Uh, and we have to see it that way. Paul amplifies this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 when he says, let love be genuine. That word there is agape. So let agape love be genuine. 
And in that, he, he can, I think we can learn a lot about what's expected of us and what we should uh, uh, try to be, that we have to love people in a way that's not merit-based, we have to love people in a way that's not conditional. It's not something that we give or retract based on what somebody else does. When we say it's unconditional, that's what we mean. Um, and again, I, th- I think the easiest way for un- us to understand it is, is the parent-child thing. And we don't say, well, I love my kid when my kid listens to me, but when he, when he or she doesn't, I just pull it right back and say, you know, fend for yourself. You know, <laughs> my toddler was rebellious today, so I just didn't feed him. No one would do that. No one in their right mind would do that. And we have to mature enough in a way that says, that's how we're going to love each other. I'm going to love my spouse, or I'm going to love my coworker. I'm going to love my enemy, regardless of what they do to try to hurt me, or in rebellion to me, or however that may be. The way I think about it, too, is, like, I like that you brought this passage up, Romans 12, 9. It's not, it's not, you're, you're not doing it because God said to do it. You're doing it because God has loved you that same way. Yeah. Um, and he's called you to show that, that love in the same way to others. It's not just, well, I'm just doing it because that's what he told me to do. So I guess I forgive you. No, that's not... If you're doing it that way, it's not genuine. So um, I like that you brought that up. So I want to think about some ways that we can demonstrate this uh, and try to make it a little bit more practical. So let's look at a couple passages. The first one's in Matthew chapter 22 in verses 34 through 40. There it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And, and John, you referred to this earlier, but we're going to read it. It says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second, this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the first thing I want to think about is who do you love? John, who does Jesus call us to love? God and our neighbor. God and our neighbor. And just real quickly, who's our neighbor? Yes. <laughs> Every, everyone. Everyone's a neighbor. Yeah, when Jesus is asked that, he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, where it would have been basically some random guy beaten up on the side of the road, and um, one of the completely, con- um, what's the word, um, Clashing cultures, uh, Jew, what I'm trying to say, Jews and Samaritans did not get along well. There you um, go. And uh, a Jew was hurt, and Samaritan came and took care of the guy after several Jews walked by. So it's just this, like, someone you don't like, someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even the least likely, you know, the person that you should love is the person you should absolutely love. And everyone in between. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, you know, we read this earlier too, that idea that you, you should love your, you have to love your enemy. So you, who do you love? You love God, you love your neighbor, you love your enemy. That excludes no one. Yeah. So you have to have a care and, and, and love for everyone. And then looking back at that Matthew 22 passage, how do you love somebody? 
uh, he, he calls to uh, that passage in Deuteronomy 6, but he says, with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Yeah, that's the love we have toward God, and then how do we love our neighbor? As ourself. Yeah. How do you love yourself? I mean, you take care of yourself, right? Yeah. Some of us do better than others, right? (laughs) Some people are a little bit better at self-love and exercise and eating right. But you take care of yourself. You make sure you have the things that you need. Um, And so if if you would do that for yourself, then you do that for somebody else. And then finally, and, and this is kind of my third principle here, why do you love? And I think, John, you fit on this too. You know, we could say it's as simple as God commands it. And frankly, that's enough. If God says you love someone, then you go do it. But not only does God command it, but he demonstrates it. Because he's done all these things first. We love because God loved us. Um, But then I want to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians 8 and in the first couple verses there. And this is in the middle of a really complicated discussion. But it says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that All of us possess knowledge, and that's in quotations because that's something that the Corinthians would say. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. So Paul is emphasizing there what love can do. It's not the main point of what he's saying, but I think it's important. Love builds up. So, John, how is that important in our relationships with one another? Um, you're not seeking your own self-interest. Um, so if you see someone who has a need, don't think, how is it going to impact me? Think, how, how can I help them through that? And how does it feel when you see the results of that, when you see someone who is built up by your love? It feels good. Yeah, I think it's supposed to. You know, It's okay to feel good about being able to help someone and seeing the results of that. That's fulfilling. Um, and it's fulfilling because that's what God's called us to do. We're being God-like when we do that. Um, so you brought up 1 Corinthians 8, and there's probably a lot of people wondering, like, you haven't even gone to 1 Corinthians 13 yet. Oh, is that important? Um, that's really <laughs> uh, where Paul goes with his argument in 1 Corinthians. We're uh, really the book of 1 yeah. Corinthians. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's does. kind of the exclamation point in the book is that these people are just not treating each other with love. But uh, I will read 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we'll start in verse 4. There, there's an important section in 1 through 3, but um, for the sake of time, we're just going to read uh, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. So you learn a lot about love, I think, in that that little passage. Uh, But what are some things that you see from that? I, I see really a definition of what agape love is. And, you know, there's a reason this is so frequently read at weddings, because those two people who are entering into a marriage need to understand what the expectations are from not from their spouse, but from their their God and God's expectations. You're going to be patient and kind toward another one another. You're not going to boast toward one another. You're not going to be rude, et cetera. Um, 
these are this is the behavior that builds somebody up. And in a marriage, that's what you want. You want to build each other up. So that individually you're strong, but together you're rock solid. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's good that you brought it up about marriages because that's often where we see this. But as we've talked about, it applies outside of marriage too. That's the way we're supposed to treat everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, a very helpful tool for me that someone presented to me was whenever you read this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through uh, that that last section, I think it's 9. Mm-hmm. Eight. Um, 8. Um, look at each of the characteristics that are given there. So, for instance, it says love is patient. Um, just put the contrast in. Say love is not patient. Or love, it, excuse me, love is not impatient. Um, and then ask yourself, are you impatient? Um, and then go through each of those and take the opposite of it and ask yourself if you're acting that way. And it's very humbling because you'll realize, wow, I'm um, maybe making some excuses for myself that I didn't realize I was making. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, bear in mind that all of those characteristics are how God feels towards us. Patient, kind, not rude, not boastful, not arrogant, etc. Yeah. And there's some of those in there that are already contrasted. So you can um, maybe take the opposite of it and see what does that look like for me if I, you know, act that way. And I think, you know, to put a capstone on it, the, the way that Paul does, love never ends. And then at the very end of the chapter, he says these three things abide, hope, faith, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. And even at the beginning, he's basically saying, if you don't have love, you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. So just an importantness on what love is. Um, anything else to add on this episode? Nope. Nope. Okay. Well, I hope this was encouraging to you. Um, again, if you have any questions, please reach out to us at wtihope at gmail.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24 The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him.